We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't have your Bibles, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got a Bible you can use. They've got a Bible you can have. If you need one, just wave at them. They'll put one in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, put your name in this one. Take it home with you and keep it. It's our gift to you, and uh, we'd love for you to go home and start reading about Jesus and discover who he is for yourself. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning as we get ready to start the new year. And man, is it cold enough outside today. My gosh, yesterday felt like spring. Today just feels like the worst day of winter possible. And I think tomorrow it's supposed to be a little warmer, up and down, up and down. So just don't put your coat away, travel with it. Uh, To all those who put up signs today outside and uh, who were greeters and parking people standing in the freezing cold, thank you from the bottom of my heart for braving the weather to make people feel welcome this morning. I don't know if you know who Jonathan Edwards is, but Jonathan Edwards uh, is one of the, um, probably one of the most important uh, spiritual leaders that's ever existed uh, in North America, specifically uh, in the United States of America. He's one of the greatest theologians that's ever lived. You can go read all of his works on theology. He's one of the greatest thinkers in church history, putting the Bible into terms that can help people leave for Jesus He was one of the driving forces of the Great Awakening, one of the greatest spiritual revivals in the history of our country was started with and led by this pastor, Jonathan Edwards. You may have read his sermon. His most well-known sermon ever is probably the most well-known sermon in secular uh, publications that there is. He had a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which public schools and even colleges still study today because of its literary expertise and how many people were moved to a relationship to God through that message. He was president of Princeton University later in his life, and his grandson's name was Aaron Burr, and he ended up becoming um, Thomas Jefferson's uh, vice president. So this was a very distinguished thinker, scholar, educator, pastor, one of the most important spiritual leaders that exist in the American church. However, the thing that I love the most about Jonathan Edwards is a list of 70 resolutions that he pinned for himself early in life, that he committed to read at the end of every week, at the end of every month, and at the end of every year to make sure that he lived life to the fullest and to make sure that, as he will say here in a little bit, when he got to the end of his life, he hadn't wasted his life. I won't read all 70 to you today, but one of them, resolution number 41, Edwards wrote, resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, Every week, every month, and every year, wherein I could possibly, in any respect, have done better. Can you imagine at the end of every day sitting down and saying, what could I have done better today? How could I have responded better? How could I have loved a little more? What could I have done better today? Resolution number seven of the 70. Resolve never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. How many arguments would we be kept from having? How many mistakes would we not make if we resolved to live the way that we would live if it were the last 60 minutes of our life. Resolution number 69 of 70, resolved always to do that, which I shall wish I had done when I see others doing it. You know, this is long before the days of having a, a kind of an Android phone where you could make notes on it. But Edward said, every time I see somebody do something admirable, I'm going to make note of that and I'm going to do it as well. And probably my favorite, which is on your sermon notes today, if you don't have those, pull those out of your bulletin so you can follow along. Resolution number 17 of 70, resolved that I will live so as I shall shall wish I had done when I come to die. Let me read it again. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. He basically said this, 
I'm going to fast forward my life to my deathbed. And I'm going to think about what I would think about on my deathbed. And I'm going to think about the regrets that maybe I would have. And I'm not going to have those regrets. And I'm going to think about the things that when I'm getting ready to die, I'll, I'll, I'll wish I had done. And I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I'm going to go ahead and live every day for the rest of my life intending that this life will one day be over and making the most of this one life that I have. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see a similar thought from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. By the way, I would highly encourage those of you who love Jesus and want to grow in your faith, go home and Google Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions, print them out, read over them in the next week, and adopt one or two or three for the rest of your life because they are incredible, the amount of thought that this man put into making sure that he lived life on purpose. And in Ephesians chapter 5, maybe it was Ephesians 5 that encouraged Edwards to make this list. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I'm going to read that again. I hope you underline this in your Bible because these are two of the greatest verses in the New Testament. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, on your sermon notes, I included the verse in the New King, the New King James Version because I believe that the language of the New King James draws a better picture of what Paul is trying to say to us. In the New King James Version, it sounds like this. See then that you walk circumspectly. I want you to, to circle that word circumspectly or to underline it on your sermon notes. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Underline or circle that word redeeming. Because the picture drawn for us in the New King James Version is a picture that helps us understand really clearly what Paul is trying to say, especially when we understand these words in the English language. Circumspectly is a word that was made up of two Greek words that became Latin words um, that literally mean speckly, if you can think of spectacles, for those of you who wear glasses, speckly means looking. Circum means circumference or circle, it means around. Circumspectly literally means looking around. Paul said, make sure you live your life looking around so you know what's going on around you. Yesterday, Danielle and I and the kids drove home from my mom and dad's just south of Chicago after celebrating a few days of Christmas with them. And we take our dog when we go and when we come back. And when we get to a rest area or a gas station, usually Christian and I will get his leash and we'll go out and walk him. And when you get to the doggy area of a rest area to allow your dog to use the bathroom, you walk circumspectly. You know what I mean? Like you walk looking around because there's all kinds of Tootsie Roll bombs laying all over the ground that you don't want to bring back to Kansas City with you. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, listen, in your life, there's going to be piles of stuff everywhere that you can get messed up with. So live your life looking around. He said, because the days are evil. There's stuff you don't want to be a part of. So open your eyes to how you're living your life. And Paul said, live in such a way. He tells us to do something that's physically impossible. He says, redeem the time. The word redeem is a word that means buy back. It's a word that means buy back. We know Paul's using hyperbole because he commands us to do something that's physically impossible. I don't know what Christmas gifts you got this week, but I promise you none of them were an opportunity to have a do-over at something you messed up last year. 
as much as we would want to, as much money as we had to, to spend on Christmas, as much money as was spent on us, if, if we had all the money in the world, we could not go back and redo January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, and the first 28 days of December. What is past is past. It's over. And as much as some of us would like to take a word back, as much as some of us would like to take a conversation or a conflict back, as much as some of us would want to stay home from work on that specific day when that day went really bad, as much as some of us never wanted to receive that diagnosis, there's no redoing what is past. So Paul is saying, live your life in such a way that you realize you can never get this moment back and do it right the first time. That's what Paul's saying. Live your life in such a way that you realize you have one chance and that's it. And do it right the first time. In two days, 2013 is over. None of us will ever live in 2013 again. Some of the consequences of life from 2013 are going to follow us a little bit. But we can never relive a day of last year. Because of that, Paul says, because of this John and Jonathan Edwards thinks, let's, let's make sure and resolve to do it right the first time so that when we get to the end, we'll have a lot more to remember than to regret. As we step into 2014, you know, one of my roles as a pastor at this church is to prepare you spiritually to take your next step with Jesus. My goal with you today is that today you're in a better place spiritually than you were December 29th last year. And my goal for you is that December 29, 2014, you're in a better place spiritually then than you are today. My goal is just to continue moving everyone forward spiritually. So I've put together today some recommended spiritual resolutions for your 2014. And you may take, I'm actually going to give you 13 things here. You may take one of them. You may take two. You may take five. You may try to do all 13. But here's my promise to you. If you will walk forward looking around with these things in mind as you live your life, I promise you, your year 2014 will be better spiritually than this year was to you. You're going to see a little E on your sermon notes and on the screen behind me. When we started our church, we studied carefully the book of Acts for over a year before we started. And we said, what were the things in the book of Acts that, that allowed this church to impact people so deeply, to impact community so broadly, and literally that allowed the gospel of Jesus just to spread from Israel to where we are today. What, what are the things? And we saw four things that were consistently happening in the book of Acts. Because I went to seminary and they taught me to, to start everything with the same letter, so I remember it. I, I picked E. And I said, we're going to define these things, these spiritual experiences in Acts with this letter E. And you've probably seen this letter around on our website and banners and other places. But we said, if we can help people experience, engage, embrace, and equip, they're going to be ready to really live for Jesus. Now, in Acts 2, 42 and 46 and 47, we kind of see the footprint of what I'm talking about, and then I'll explain it to you a little bit. It says the early church, this is like week one of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What is it that they were doing in the book of Acts that allowed this church to impact individuals so deeply and the community so broadly? They did four things. Resolution number one that I want to challenge you to do next year. Number one, I want to challenge you to be more committed to the Sunday worship experience than ever before in your life. Because it says that they met in the temple courts and they had church. That's how we would describe it. They met in the temple and they had church. So we said one of the things that drove the church forward was this weekly 
worship experience where people would come together from all over town to a central location and they would worship God together. This was important in the book of Acts. This needs to be important to Christians in 2011, 12, and 13. In Hebrews chapter 10, written less than 30 years after Jesus had died, we hear this given about the Sunday morning worship experience and those who had begun to fade off a little bit. The author of Hebrews says, let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How are we going to help people live better spiritually? It says, do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. He said, keep doing what you've been doing. Now, as we put together the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7 through Acts chapter 12, as we read through the book of James, James 1 and 2, as we pick up in Hebrews chapter 10, we know why people had quit going to church. And it wasn't because the Jerusalem chiefs had games on Sunday at noon. It it was because, if you read closely in the scripture, the church had come under persecution. And in James chapter 2, James literally said that these, these people are dragging you to court. People would go to church and they'd get arrested. James, the apostle, was at church one day when he was arrested and beheaded. The apostle Peter was at church one day when he was thrown in prison. And by the way, we, by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, the church has disappeared. It's gone. People have quit going to church because it's dangerous. But Paul says, even though it's dangerous, yes, it's dangerous, but it's so good for you. You just got to work through that danger and you got to keep having church because that's how you grow spiritually. Now, if you were to ask me today, Christian, why are people not deeply committed to the weekly worship experience of church today. And, and I don't know every church in America, but I know our church and I know our people pretty well. I would say here's the list of things that has kept people from being greatly committed to the Sunday morning worship experience. Number one in our congregation for our church is kids' sports schedule. Right? I've got a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. I get it. Um, there's no break for church. And it is possible if your kid plays on the right team in the right sports league to play a game 35 Sundays a year. And it's very possible to say, I love Jesus deeply, but because I'm following my kids around you, I can only get to church once a month, once every six weeks, once every eight weeks. I'm just, I'm not going to really be able to be really committed. Number two would be not kids sports, but pro sports. If I were to show you an attendance chart of attendance when the Chiefs play at home versus when they're away, of when Sporting KC's in town, of when the race is in town, of when the Royals have a, a big Sunday day game. We, we have a lot of people that, you know, from season tickets to tailgating to whatever, when those things arrive, their commitment to church comes second to that. A, a lot of people, we have a lot of young singles and a lot of young marrieds in our church who spend some late Saturday nights hanging out together. And when they miss church on Sunday and you run into them at, Starbucks or Panera or you shoot them a text. They haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. They, you know, I've been out really late on Saturdays and I've just, you know, I've been sleeping. I'll try to, I'll try to make it there. It's just a scheduling thing. Uh, we have some that work on Sundays and I, I get it. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible, but we have some who aren't working, but they're working towards their future. You have no idea how many times I hear from adults, hey, you know, I didn't see you at church. Oh, I had a paper due. I had a test due. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get ahead on this. I'm preparing a project for this. And they're not working, but they're working on work. So they're not, they're not around the body of Christ growing on Sunday mornings. Now, some of these are better reasons than others. But when I look at what Scripture says about growing spiritually, I realize Sunday morning has to be a priority. 
And if you want to grow in 2014, you have to be more committed than you were in 2013. Now, I'm not saying make your kid quit sports because mine is not. And my son will play a lot of baseball. He'll probably play 75 games next year. And he'll play some Sundays, and he'll miss some Sundays. But church will always be a priority because there are some Sundays that Christian plays that I can get to an early service and not miss most of his game. Or he can play real early, and he can get to the late service. A lot of people with season tickets to the Chiefs games, you know what? You can get out of church and still get there an hour before the game. Now, there's going to be some Sundays you want to tailgate. You can't just miss three months of church when football season starts. You can. You'll not be strong spiritually if you do. So if you want to grow spiritually, prioritize church. And everyone in our church is going to miss six to eight to ten times a year. We're going to get sick. We're going to go on vacation. Our kids are going to have big games that grandma, that everyone goes to. Um, you know, the Chiefs are going to have a home opener. There's going to be some stuff that's really important. But if everything is more important for church, then church becomes not important at all. And we have to prioritize, according to Hebrews chapter 10 and Acts chapter 2, we have to prioritize getting together every now and then. Resolution number two. Here's the second thing that I would challenge you to do. Give small groups a chance this year so that you can engage in Christian relationships with people at our church. One of the foundational verses of our church is Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10 and verse 12. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and doesn't have anyone to help them up. The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not, is not quickly broken. We know that the thing that holds our church together is going to be the relationships within our church. And those in our DNA are going to be formed, especially in this portable church, those are going to be formed in small groups, in homes, in coffee shops, hanging out, having fellowship with people. And here's what we know. Last May we did a survey. I don't know if you remember the survey. We said, hey, here's, here's what we think works spiritually. How's it working with you all? You all tell us how it's going. What we learned last year is 50% of the people in our church have never been to or even tried a small group. And I get it. You're busy. You've had a bad experience in the past. There's just not really time. But what I'm telling you as I understand Scripture is that if you want to go to the next step spiritually, one of your next steps if you're not in a small group is to get in a small group. Now, we started talking to people about why they don't go to small groups, and here's what we're hearing. We don't think the child care is good enough. So we're talking about, we're working on that. We're doing a leadership training with all our small group leaders to talk about with some people who aren't coming because, you know, Kids may or may not just have a free-for-all and destroy houses. So how, how are we going to fix that? Um, we've, we've heard people say, listen, I just can't make it on a weeknight or a morning ever. If you had old-fashioned Sunday school, I'd be there. So we're starting some Sunday school classes in late January of this year. You'll be able to come to church one hour and then go to a small group on Sunday morning that meets right out here, get your donuts, have your coffee, have some fellowship, study some scripture together. But, but I'm telling you, we're hearing what you're saying about not coming to small groups. You need to hear me that this is important for your spiritual DNA, engaging in relationships, at least according to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And as we look at what's important going forward, engaging in a small group, giving a small group a chance, just try it for six to eight weeks. We, we've heard some people say, Christian, the small group semesters aren't long enough. They only go six to eight weeks. Everyone misses two or three for one reason. So by the time we're done, everyone's only been together three or four times. No one knows each other. They don't want to come back. So we said, okay, we'll have 10 to 12-week semesters. So even though everyone misses two or three times, everyone's still together six to eight times, enough to get to know people. We're, we're listening to feedback, 
We want you to take the challenge to work to engage in a small group when they start up at the end of the month this year. Resolution number three. It's actually three things for resolution three. Volunteer, volunteer, and volunteer. Embrace serving as a part of your spiritual journey. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Ephesus that one of the greatest spiritual steps for spiritual growth that a person could take is beginning to use their gifts within the church. I'm not saying volunteer because our staff sitting around saying we don't have any volunteers. We have tons of volunteers. We probably, in most ministries, don't need more volunteers. And people are on such a rotation, they only serve once every other week, some once every three, some once a month, because we have so many. But I'm telling you, the volunteers at our church, they don't come for a service, they come for church. And there's a difference between people who come and listen and the people who come and engage in what is going on. I I had a uh, meeting with a gal two weeks ago with one of our pastors who's pretty new to our church and she works she works a job that only allows her to be here once a month and that's just the way it is she's probably never going to be here more than once a month and i said i i need you to serve on that one sunday that you come because even though you could you could come every week and not serve or you could come once a month and serve and you'll know more people have it feel like home more have more people say hi to you the one time a month you come than every week if you just come in and out and never serve so I need, I need you to engage for you this year in volunteer ministry. We'll figure out when and the how and all that stuff. But even if you're only here once every six weeks, if you engage, I promise you it'll change your life spiritually. And then resolution number four, and here's where we'll spend the next 13 minutes. Commit to grow this year. Commit to grow spiritually this year by equipping yourself with a specific plan for 2014. And I'm going to give you, under, under this point, I'm going to give you ten things that you can do. Choose one, choose nine, choose ten, choose three. I promise you, if you put only one of these things into practice, you will grow spiritually next year. Before we started our church, we said, what are the things that are going to be most important to the DNA of Journey Church International? And we, we set some values down that said we're going to make decisions through the filter of these values. One is simplicity. We know people are extremely busy. That's why we don't ask busy people to be at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday morning, visitation, Saturday. We ask you to commit to Sunday morning, a small group, and serving. Three, more than three things is too much, and that's a lot for many people because the world is busy. We said we're going to be a generous church, and every time we receive, we're going to give. We receive, we're going to give. We receive, we're going to give. And this year we will give away close to $100,000 just this year from offerings you have given to do ministry around our community, city, and around the world. We said we're going we're gonna to try to show radical appreciation because we realize no one has to serve, regardless of how committed, how faithful, how long they've been involved. No one has to do anything. I was pulling in this morning with my kids, and, you know, it's like 10 degrees and minus one or two windshield, someone told me, and our guys are outside setting up signs. And, I mean, it was so cold, and as we pulled in, uh, you know, I, I literally said, man, God bless those guys. And my little girl said, Dad, how much do you pay those guys? <laughs> and started laughing. I said, well, a cup of coffee and some donut. I mean, we, we don't. And she said, why do they do that then? And I said, well, hopefully because they love Jesus. And they think this is, this is one thing they can do to help show people who Jesus is, who are driving by on the streets. But, man, I found both of those guys, and I've, I've tried to say thank you ten times today because you cannot appreciate people enough who serve God at your church. And then we said people have to grow spiritually. We said if our, if our church grows to a 1,000 people on Sunday morning but people aren't growing spiritually, we have failed. 
If we grow to 100 people, but every one of them is growing spiritually, we've succeeded. Our church has to be more about spiritual growth than numerical growth. Why? Because of 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You see, we're supposed to grow spiritually. And as a matter of fact, if you have a tree or bush in your yard that hasn't grown for two or three years and you know for sure it's dead you're probably going to replace it with something that's alive. God is looking for Christians who are alive, who are growing, who are blossoming. And some of us are just little baby trees, and some of us got a lot of stuff that needs to be cut off so we can grow a little bit. But some of us are, are looking pretty dead, and we need to grow. Second Peter 3.18, the Apostle Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was talking to people who, the famous invitation, if they died, were going to go to heaven. That wasn't enough. He said, Grow. Grow while you're alive. First Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul said, Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. There's this thought that you can be trained to be in physical shape, and you can be trained to be in spiritual shape. So figure out how to train to be in spiritual shape. So that's what I want to do to you today. I want to give you ten tips, ten exercises that if you will do these this year and be committed to them, I believe you're going to grow spiritually. What are they? Tip number one, you have to have more Bible in your life. Regardless of how much Bible you had in your life last year, you need to have more Bible in your life this year. I put a link on your uh, sermon notes, Bible.com. That is a website where you can literally go sign up to choose the amount, the plan, the structure of how you're going to receive the Bible this year. You can go on Bible.com, put your cell phone number in, and it will, it will text you a verse a day. And I say the absolute minimum for anyone is to read a verse a day. And you can do that on your cell phone. It's funny how even in church sometimes it's hard to open our Bible. But if we get a text message on jury duty, I mean, it's like you cannot not read a text message because you never know what it is, right? Like I see you in church looking down at your phone. I mean, I can hear them buzzing around like... We can't not read a text message. You know you can have God text message you a verse every day through Bible.com. And at the very minimum, have a verse a day that you read, that you think about, that you write on a note card that you carry with you at, at an absolute minimum. If you're at that step, your next step should be reading and studying a book of the Bible. Just pick one. Pick one out of the New Testament. Pick one out of the Old Testament. And get to know it so intimately. Find out everything about it and try to do the things in it that allowed the people in that book to be close to God or Follow the directions that that book gives to be close to God. If you've done that, your next step would be to choose and read and learn a section of the Bible. Read everything that's been written about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the book of Acts and read for yourself what the church is supposed to look like and how it spread like wildfire across Jerusalem. Read the book of Revelation and start wondering what it's going to be like in the end times. Read both the letters of Peter, First and Second Peter. Read First, Second, Third John. Read everything Paul wrote. Read Psalms and Proverbs. Take a little section of Scripture and say, I'm going to get to know that this year. If you've done that, then choose and read and learn either the Old or the New Testament. If you haven't done either of these, my challenge to you would be to start in the New Testament. You can read your Bible about 12 minutes a week, which means you could read your Bible one, one day a week for 12, for 12 minutes and get through the New Testament in the year, 27 books. Just begin to get to know the Bible. If you've done that, your next step would be to read your entire Bible. If you read your Bible 12 minutes a day, you can read the entire Bible, Genesis all the way through Revelation, by the end of the year. But you can't have enough Bible 
in your life. When I was in high school, Saturday Night Live was like at its peak with Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and Chris Farley. And I mean, it was like every Saturday must see TV. And right as I was graduating high school, moving into college, a guy by the name of Will Ferrell started to be on Saturday Night Live. And one of his most famous skits is him in a band playing the cowbell. And they, they, they've got this big band that's together. And he's just a background guy playing the cowbell. But every time they start the track, he's banging the cowbell. And they're, no, 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 you're too quiet. The next time he bangs it louder. And he keeps saying, more cowbell, more cowbell. Listen, you cannot have too much Bible in your life. You need more Bible. Like Will Ferrell needed more cowbell, you need more Bible. However much you have, you need more. We all need more. Jeremiah said, I ate God's words and they were sweetness to my soul. The more Bible you have, the closer you're going to be to God. Number two, begin a new spiritual commitment. You say, which one? I don't know. You decide. Go home and talk to your spouse, talk to your kids, talk to your friends in your small group, figure out what you're going to do. A spiritual commitment is something you begin doing that you have not been doing. Maybe your spiritual commitment is going to be to try a small group. Maybe your spiritual commitment is going to be to volunteer once a month. Maybe your spiritual commitment is going to try to be in church more this year than last year. I would challenge you to go set a numerical goal for how many Sundays you're going to try to come to church and see if you can meet it. Forty. 36, 24, how many times you come last year? Come one more this year, and I promise you, you'll grow a little more spiritually. Begin a new spiritual commitment. Tip number three, begin a new spiritual habit. A spiritual commitment is something like once a week that you commit to. A spiritual habit is something that you begin doing every day, and it becomes a part of who you are in your DNA. A spiritual habit would be reading your Bible every day. A spiritual habit would be reading a verse of the day on your text message. A a spiritual habit would be uh, maybe praying once a day on the way to work. A spiritual habit would be listening to Christian music on this day of the week, or I'm going to listen to Christian music on the way to work, on the way home from work. A spiritual habit is something you begin doing every day to try to change the spiritual DNA of your life. Tip number four and five kind of go together with Hebrews chapter 12, so I'll give them to you together. Tip number four, drop an old spiritual bad habit. There's some things you're doing in your life that they're not good for you spiritually, but they're not necessarily sin. Tip number five would be to overcome a sin in your life. I get these two tips from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the author of Hebrews says, Listen, there's some sin in your life you've got to get rid of. And you know what? You don't have to preach on sin much because people know what they're dealing with. My, my challenge to you would be write that down, talk to someone, and deal with it. Just confront it this year. Overcome some sin that you've always struggled with. But in addition to that, look around your life and see what's entangling you that you know maybe you don't have to ask God to forgive you for it, but you know you're not close to God when you're doing it. For instance, Danielle and I have decided just this fall, there's a couple television shows that we like to watch, that just every season they just get a little more carnal, they get a little more worldly. And we were watching one just a couple of weeks ago, and we turned it off midway through, and it's like we just both said, we should, this, is, this is not worth watching anymore. And it's never really been pro-God, but it's moving in kind of an anti-God direction, so we're done with that. We, we don't want to watch that. There are movies where I've seen the first one and the sequel when it comes out. I think, you know what, that, that's not for me anymore. Uh, I try to listen to Christian music most times, but I also really like country music. I mean, I really enjoy country music, and I have it on a lot in my truck. 
But I've noticed when I'm with my kids and when I'm listening to the lyrics, there's a lot of country music that's just about drinking and partying. So I thought, you know, Lord, I, this year I'm not, when a country music song comes on that just, just glorifies drinking and partying, I'm going to turn the channel. Basically, I can't listen to any country music anymore. This is like every other song. I can only listen to Carrie Underwood. And that makes my wife uncomfortable because she thinks I like her. And, I, you know, I, I don't have... You know, I don't have feelings for her, but she uh, she is a very good musician. A little weird in the sound of music. Um, but, you know, I can't just, thought it'd be weird if I just had a bunch of Carrie Underwood CDs. So, you know, probably country music is going to go by the wayside for the most part. But there's some things that, they're just, they're not drawing me closer to Jesus. They're not critically important. It's like, I'm probably not going to do that anymore. And there are some just flat sins in my life that it's like, okay, Christian, you're going to be 36 this year. It's time to deal with that. Because if you don't, your son who's 12 is going to be doing them when he's 16 and 70. He probably ought to get over that as well. Tip number seven, or tip number six, expand your generosity. I stood on the sidewalk last week in the ice on Sunday morning and talked to one of the men uh, in our church. And he told me that he and his wife had just gone back and looked over at their giving for the year. And he said, Christian, we have, between the church, some other things we support, some friends who are in need, we've given away way more money this year than we've ever given away before. And he said, man, it feels so good, and we don't feel like we're lacking. I hear all the time from people in our church, because we have a lot of people who have never gone to church before they came to Journey. And like they've never given an offering before, and they started out at $10 a week and then $20 a week. And in 2011, they said, you know, we gave a couple hundred dollars. That's the first time we've ever given a couple hundred dollars. And last year, they said, this year we gave a couple thousand dollars. And then this year, every year, they're saying, we gave more this year than we've ever given before. And it's unbelievable how God keeps blessing us. Expand your generosity. Listen, tip a percentage more when you're eating out at restaurants. Instead of giving a dollar to the guy on the corner, give $2. Expand your generosity in every area of your life because every time you're generous, you bless somebody. If you expand your generosity, you'll expand your ability to bless people. Tip number seven, invite somebody to be a part of JCI with you this year. Intentionally plan to bring someone to church this year so they can be a part of our church family. I gave our first service a statistic that I think kind of shocked him. But if you look on the front of your bulletin, we have made this little 10 weeks to one brand new you. We start next week a 10-week series on the Sermon on the Mount. That's going to be awesome. Four weeks on Matthew 5, the new you resolution, the Beatitudes. Three weeks on Matthew chapter 6 on how the Bible says to deal with worry and stress. Three weeks on Matthew chapter 7, losing my religion. Jesus says, you don't want religion, you want a relationship with me. And we made this into like a color postcard, and we're sending it to 25,000 people this week. If you live in Lee Summit or Cass County, you're probably going to get one of these in your mailbox. And we know from direct mail experts that one half of 1% of people who get this postcard will probably attend JCI during this 10 weeks. That means we're inviting 25,000 people and about 125 of them, hopefully 125 of them, be very successful if they attend during the series. So we have a 0.5% chance of someone saying yes when we send them something in the mail. George Barn and his research group, they do a lot of research, did a survey of how many people would come to church if a friend that they knew asked them, what percentage of people, if you personally invited them to church, do you think would say yes of people who don't come to our church right now? Yes. 90%. percent of people surveyed said if a friend that I knew, that I respected, asked me to go to church with him, I would. So we send out a mailer to 25,000 people hoping 100 will come. You invite 10, 9 are probably going to say yes. 
See, Jesus' method for reaching people was people. We're going to do a series at our church in August called Domino, and we're going to challenge everyone in our church to fall into one. That's how Jesus spread the gospel, just fall into one. Because if we this year as a church can get in our DNA to fall into one, it'll take a long time, but slowly we'll spread out across this community with what Jesus is doing in us and what we are doing in this community and in the world. Tip number eight, work as a family this year to grow spiritually together. Work as a family this year to grow spiritually together. If you only start one new habit, for those of you who are married, if you only start one new habit, this will be the most life-transforming habit that you can begin this year. Pray with your spouse every night before you fall asleep. And I'm talking like 10-second prayer, like roll over, grab their hand, just mute the TV for a minute, put the book down, put the magazine down. Lord, thanks for the day. Keep us safe as we sleep. Help us to have a good day tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't time that. I bet that was less than 10 seconds. If you do that for the next 365 days, something's going to happen inside the hearts of you and your spouse. And it's going to draw you closer. At some point in that little ritual, someone's going to say, hey, pray for this or pray for that. Or you're going to have a hard day that you're going to voice directly. Or you're going to have a big day that you're going to start praying. All of a sudden, you're going to start living your life together with God. For those of you who are parents, if you want to start one spiritual habit this year, just one, pray with your kids. My kids never go to school without me praying for them. My kids never fall asleep without me praying for them, ever, if I am home. I pray over my kids every day out the door, and I pray for them every night before they go to bed. And probably those two prayer times in total are less than 20 seconds. I'm not the greatest dad in the world. But it has become important to me, and it's funny because my kids won't leave the house. They'll come find me before they leave to give me a hug and have me pray over them. It's just become something that we do. And they can hardly fall asleep without someone praying for them. You know what my kids are going to do one day when they have kids? They're going to pray over their kids before they go to school and when they go to bed. Some of you don't pray over your meals yet. Just one spiritual habit this year. Stop and pray before you eat. Just do the God is great, God is good, let us sing for our food, let's eat, amen. Pray. I mean, just something. Stop to bring God into the midst of your family and you're going to grow this year. For those of you who are parents with kids in our kids' ministry, I, I challenge you, download this Parent Q app. Go to the app store on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. Type in the words Parent app. There's a little app you can download on your phone that literally gives you everything that our children are studying in the kids' ministry. And the Sundays that you have to miss on the way to or from their games or the stadiums or relatives or the Sundays you're sick, you can literally hand them your, your tablet and they can push a button and they can literally watch kids' ministry so they don't have to miss anything that's going on. And then at night when you go to tuck your kids in for bed and pray for them, you can open up that app and it'll give you a verse to share at bedtime. And, and at mealtime, when you get ready to say your prayer around meal, there's a button on the app and you can have a verse for mealtime. And it'll say, hey, ask this question at the meal. Ask this question at bed. And all of a sudden, you will be your kids. You'll be your kids' pastor. You'll be your child's kids' pastor. And you'll be the one raising them spiritually. Grow spiritually as a family this year. Tip number nine, live boldly. Now, I want you to write on your notes, boldly does not mean offensively. And we get the difference, right? You can be real bold and you can be a real jerk. Live boldly. Don't live offensively. Don't live in judgment. But let people know how much you love Jesus and what he's done in your life. Here's my challenge for those of you in here who are actually going to make a couple spiritual resolutions. Take one of your spiritual resolutions and post it on your Facebook page. This is one of the things I'm going to work on spiritually. Put the whole list on there if you want to. 
What it's going to say to your friends who are maybe always hearing from other Christians what they need to do spiritually, it's going to show your friends what Christians need to work on in themselves spiritually, and Jesus is going to become very attractive to them. And it's going to let them know how important your faith is to you. And then tip number 10. Here will be my last thing for you. Download the JCI Spiritual Growth Plan that Pastor Ryan has put together for our church. There's a link to it. You can go to our website and download this. It has 12 steps that basically growing Christians take part in. It's the stages of a disciple's life as we have studied the New Testament. And once a month, look over that and say, what am I doing? What am I doing better? What am I not doing at all that I can do? And begin this year to grow. You know, I had a, uh, I had a man walk up to me after our 915 service, waited till the end of the service came up. And he, he pulled out his phone and he opened his notes and he scrolled through them and he clicked on it and he handed it to me. And I said, what's this? And he said, I put your New Year's Eve sermon from last year on my phone so I could review it. And he said, read through it. And he had me read through it. And he said, as a family, we've done all these things. And it's been one of the greatest years ever. And I looked at it and I thought, man, that might be better than this one. Text that to me. I might preach last year's at the 1045 instead of this year's. And he just laughed. But he texted me. the last, So he texted me all of it. And then he reminded me, his last text to me, he reminded me that I closed with an illustration of Yoda. And Yoda said, um, do or not do. There is no try. Because I said, a lot of you are going to leave and you're going to say, I'm going to try to do this. And you remember when Yoda was talking to Luke Skywalker and, you know, Luke said, I'll try. And he said, no, do or not do. Do or do not. There is no try. You either do it or you don't do it. But don't give me the try business. So my goal for our church is for you to do one of these things. You, you have to be a real champ to try to bite off ten and do them all. Just choose one for January. If you do that well, choose another one for February. But I promise you, according to God's word, that is true and that we can trust. If you will do these things, if you'll live walking around, I believe you'll avoid some, you'll avoid some landmines. You won't get your shoes as, as dirty as often. And I believe you'll have less days that you regret that you'll wish you could have lived over. And I believe you'll get to the end of 2014 and you'll say, you know what? I got it a pretty good job that year. Looking forward to next year. Don't regret most of this year. I promise you, if you follow God's plan for your life, you'll grow spiritually. Revelation 3.2 says this, wake up. Wake up spiritually. It was Jesus' message to the church at Sardis. Wake up. Jonathan Edwards started preaching sermons in the northeastern United States, and it led to what was called the Great Awakening. If you study history, you'll study the first and second Great Awakenings. The Great Awakenings were named those by people who did not go to church because here's what they said about this movement. seems like everyone has woke up spiritually. It just seems like everyone woke up spiritually at the same time. What would happen if everyone in our church woke up spiritually, started paying attention, started getting real serious about growing, and incrementally started doing these things the Bible tells us to do? I believe our community would start seeing that people have woken up, and people would impact families, and families would change communities, and communities, I believe, could have tremendous impact on cities. That's what happened in the book of Acts. That's what happened in the northeastern United States in the mid-1700s. I believe that's what could happen here if every individual will own their part of it and wake up to something they need to do to grow spiritually next year.